You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. This is the official New Year's song of 2020. Oh my God. You're welcome. Now everybody's burned their ears off. <laughs> I am. I could be a good singer one day. You could. I'm like the next Billie Eilish. Uh, are you? <laughs> good. Yeah. All you have to do is mumble. I've offended half of our fan base, but I don't I, care. What do you mean? I don't. Uh, my, Samantha loves Billie Eilish and I'm, I can't. And also Why? someone had the audacity to compare her to Avril Lavigne and that's when I wanted to burn Billie my ears Eilish off. Billie Eilish is so good. She may not be like, she may not be like Adele where Adele like sings loud, yeah. but like she writes that music. And, and the, I appreciate that. I appreciate, <clears throat> excuse me. I appreciate the the work that she puts into her work i just i they am made a that ballad entire person. album in a room this size did you know that i did not know that her and her brother made the entire album in a room this size without any studio that's fantastic i appreciate that again i just like bombastic singers which i know then why do i like adele or like why do i like avril lavigne i don't know i don't know i can't tell you what the difference is i just telling you you're just jealous maybe probably I don't, I don't like Billie Eilish. I don't know. Which, by the way, <laughs> she just turned 18 and she was already like the number one search on Pornhub. On Pornhub? <laughs> People were trying to find Billie Eilish porn when she just turned 18, which is really fucked up. Like, oh, let, the, let the girl keep. I'm sure she's not innocent, but like, let her keep that. Yeah. She's 18. Like, Jesus. fuck off. Jesus. People on Pornhub are savages. They are. It is sad. Well, I don't. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. People on Pornhub are are ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> they're savages as you're like uh, that's my number two website i've ever visited <laughs> no no i don't mean that i don't mean that i mean that because like people have talked about how like savages is a derogatory term oh, for indigenous yeah, yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. which that's i get true. so i don't want to use that um but i but i also don't want to say ridiculous because that's but you know what is the word i want to say aggressive they're brutal they're, they're brutal aggressive. yeah good. they are brutal they are aggressive and some of the stuff that they put on there i don't uh, who's monitoring Pornhub? That's what Nobody. I want to know. <laughs> you know what though? You know what? Oh, you know a good job you should apply for is it for Pornhub? Yes. Because, oh, you gosh. know what they have? They have what? people who sit in there and they type out, like they type what people are saying in porn uh-huh. for like deaf people. Oh, really? So they, you like, want me to be a, like a transcriber for yeah, Pornhub? Because this girl was like, she was like, yeah, I'm really good at it, and she was like, I made like buttons, so like I push like Control One, and it just says uh. uh I push Control. Uh, yeah, just, you just hit that the whole time. <laughs> uh, uh, two. Ow. Uh, uh, ow. Good, great. Thank you, Paul. Uh, your volume is great. We got to turn this down. Sorry. Time. Oh, I'm sorry. My us uh, too loud. No, it's for because you. we actually for once have our microphones all the way up. Now we're really be. fucking loud. Okay. 
All right. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> or what is it's it? It's like when you turn the shower, when you put it up just like a little bit too hot, and it's yeah. like all of a sudden scalding. That's what just happened with yes. our audio. It's either scalding or it's too low. That's yep. how it is. But thank you for your suggestions on my job search, which is still going on. Um, hey, maybe I will. I'm not above it. I don't care. I would Whatever. love that job. Are you kidding me? Just you probably get a room all by yourself. I, everybody I, has I'm to have sure. everybody has to have their own independent office. Uh, Are you kidding? That's a work from home job. That is, you're not going into an office for that job. Imagine you're like, oh, I'm just gonna close the blinds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would be very hard for me though because I don't know. I guess you just, just get really desensitized to it. But like, if you just get aroused in the middle, do they just have like tissues and like, here's your tissue, you? probably. <laughs> <laughs> everybody is spotted has to, by wet lube. <laughs> everybody has to change their own trash can. Exactly. Like <laughs> not, you I'm take not. everything out. You take your seat with you. Do not leave your seat cushion here. Thank you. <laughs> no, you transcribe those videos later. They just pop up. I'm sure that's a work from home job. It has to be. I'm gonna gonna go to Pornhub slash careers and see what I can find. <laughs> Hey, you never know. <laughs> oh my god. Good. Um. So. Yeah. So happy new year. Happy new year, everyone. Um, we're finally reached it. Remember in 2016 when we we're like, we're never going to see 2020. It's never going to come. Trump will be in office forever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2020, though, there is a lot of shit that's going to go down this year. Yeah. yeah Trump was impeached in the House in 2019. Um, mm-hmm. The Senate vote, I think, will be going on in through it'll be going on i think through february probably mm. um depending on well, if if they actually have have a trial or not yeah it well depends that's if, on if, if nancy pelosi actually sends over the articles so she can hold that up for as long as she wants because we all know the senate's just going to vote it down well that oh shit i think um i read something from a scholar a constitutional scholar is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Um, where he was like, Nancy Pelosi's actually doing the right thing. Well, yeah. Because she knows that if she puts that shit over there, Trump's, I mean, uh, McConnell's just going to basically like ignore, uh, ignore it and yeah. just say, nope, uh, we're siding with the White House on this one, folks. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. She's doing the best she can. I mean, the thing is, we all know Trump isn't going to be impeached. He's not actually going to be removed. Well, he was from impeached, office. but he won't be well, removed. Yeah, yeah. He won't be removed. He won't be removed from office. But. What we know, um, but what she can do is drag it out and keep it out. And yeah, and, and the that's thing the is, whole point. she even said that um, she would. They have more articles of impeachment that they can bring against Trump, which is why they only did two in the beginning. Yeah, because they wanted to hold on to something. It's like when you bring somebody to trial for murder, like a serial killer, but you only try him for a couple murders. Yeah, and then you keep the other ones just to keep. Ammunition. Yeah, she, you know, I will say she was brilliant. She got a lot of flack because people are like, why didn't you impeach him immediately? But she played it out perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's playing out in an uh, election year. She's got more articles that she can bring out against him. Like she formatted it to the, she was a mastermind. Exactly. To know, to know that, no, I can never get this man removed from office, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can make his life a living hell for his reelection. And that's all that matters. So, Man, give that Nancy Pelosi clap. She was like house. a mastermind behind the scenes. Damn. Just like, damn. Have you ever listened to her talk though? When she talks, she won't finish a sentence. <laughs> She'll like drop the last word or two and then go on and, to the last. And, and, and like we were saying, so anyways, as we go into the, we're going to, yeah. Yeah, she like drops the last, it's, I like listen to her and I'm like, this is an interesting way of conversating. <laughs> Because it you makes never you constantly have to be on the edge of your seat and keep listening. Yeah, she never finishes. She like drops the last word always. Yeah, it like just, and then she goes on to the next sentence. <laughs> Anyways, I, I will forever <laughs> love her clap against him though. Oh I know that yeah, was, but my god, it was equivalent to like the meme with the woman and the cat. 
Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. So thank you for that clap, Nancy, and thank you for all you're doing. And, Sorry um, if you hear some. some now we have to like talk about things that aren't Trump related. Uh, twenty twenty. I will be twenty eight. David's gonna be thirty. It's his thirtieth. It's wow, his thirtieth in twenty twenty. Yeah, that's oh. my sisters are gonna be. My sister's gonna be twenty. Skyler? What the fuck? My sister's gonna be twenty. Wow. Jesus, I can't believe that she's so grown up now. I remember when I was twenty, I was being reckless. So I've I hope she's not following in my path. <laughs> My footsteps. <laughs> Probably not. Um, <laughs> I've literally, I don't know. I like, I feel like I know so much about Skylar and I've met her for half a second one time. But yeah, happy birthday to you, Skylar. Yeah, February. She's a February baby. Nice. My other sister's going to be 15, 16. Kylie? 16. 16? 15 or 16? I think 16. She 15? cannot be 16 I don't know. yet. Sorry, Kylie. I think she's. I only 15. remember how she's old a fresh. She was a freshman this year, right? Yeah. Okay, so she'd be fifteen. Probably. Yeah. I only remember how old Skylar is because she was born in the year two thousand. Oh. So whatever year it is, <laughs> that's nice. Wow. I, I'm not good with, num- with numbers like that's that. That's why you can't even remember your own birthday, which you don't. I never remember how old I am. Anyways, <laughs> um, but yeah, we should probably get towards our script soon as we're just rambling on and on. Well, people are um, used to it by now. They are. You know, we should unless just this is your first episode. S- if you are, you're actually ten minutes ahead. If you are uh, a brand new listener and this is your first episode, yeah. uh, this is an LGBT podcast. Yeah, where we spend the first ten minutes talking about nonsense, mm-hmm. and then we actually talk about our subject. Yeah. So for anybody that's been listening, they know just skip the first ten minutes. <laughs> you just go right, skip right across, and okay, here we go. Um, Unless you yeah. like listening to us, which I do. Welcome to your queer story, where your host Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs, and this is the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism. Mm, good. And um, there was something else I wanted to say. Oh, we have three new patrons. Yes. So thank welcome you. to the family. Yes. Uh, we're we're slowly growing. And if you want to help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash your queer story, or you can check out our merch. We have some nice merch. Mm-hmm. I do have some ideas for a few new pieces of merch, which will be coming out. I'm probably going to try to get them out by the middle slash end of January so you can get your significant other or family member something kind of cute for So it'll come Valentine's out right before Day. Valentine's. Don't hold me to that, but <laughs> probably be here by June, but... <laughs> I'm really hoping to have it out by January. Get it out, sometime. Paul. Come on. I also have to put stuff out. I did put another article out on our blog, and um, I'm working on stuff for Patreons. So we're working on stuff. Like we said, we're going legitimate this year. So we gotta up our game. Yeah, we're working on it. We're yeah. we're doing it. We're doing it. We're. Doing I also it. just started classes. Um, oh yeah. No, I'm not doing college classes. I found an a non college way of. Uh, educating myself i'm taking classes on sql and python which are two coding languages so um paid for through my work nice and uh yeah nice that's good you know we don't put enough emphasis on the non-college ways to educate yeah i really i was looking into a tuition-free college but i'm like i just don't know how much accreditation like that degree would have because like it's an online you know i don't know how people would look at it I don't want to like spend four years working on something and then have a company be like that. I'm not taking. Oh that. God! Wow, that must be awful. Exactly. I don't know what that feels like. I don't want like. to follow in your footsteps. No, it was great because I had an interview um, this last week and they brought up my college and they're like, "Can we request the transcripts?" And I was like, 
I mean, you can, but um, I don't know how you're going to feel about what you read. Like, I don't know how to tell people like, well, there's a lot about marriage and motherhood and being a good submissive wife and what it's the fundamentals of a Christian woman. But go right ahead. Request the transcripts. And thank you for the four years that I wasted. Yeah, that's what I was scared of, which mine would. I mean, mine, I work in like a tech field, so I, I don't really need a degree. And that's the thing, like the yeah. tech field. If you can show people like I made this app, I made this app, they don't care if you have a degree. They yeah. don't. They don't give a fuck. Yeah. They just want to know you know how to do it. Yeah. So I was like, I don't want to spend four years on stuff that I don't necessarily need. If I can, especially if my company's going to pay for this education, like I can learn how to do this and then I can just run with it and make yeah. my own stuff. Yeah, that's good. I think it's great. I think we just put so much onto college degrees now and with the ridiculous um loans that people have to take for college and we gotta stop that and it doesn't hinder like i like i just feel like i've worked nine years trying to educate myself and i don't have a bachelor's but that doesn't mean i haven't worked nine years educating myself absolutely leadership skills like management skills all all those things i've acquired i've done so much advocacy in my free time Mm -hmm. and and then when I'm held up against this crappy, like, do you have a bachelor's? And like, no, I guess I'm not, I'm worth nothing because I wasn't willing to put myself into fifty thousand dollars worth right. of death. Minimum. I guess I'm just I'm just shit, huh? None of this matters. I'm fine. I'm not bitter. <laughs> Anyways, today we're talking about the public universal friend, and we're going to tell a story of the first out queer person to form a religion in America. And they also happen to be one of the first openly non-binary people in our budding nation. So let's head back to America in the mid-1700s. I love how you gave people no warning that we were starting the script. Surprise, that's the podcast. Have you listened to it? <laughs> Welcome. We're 80-something episodes. That's how it goes every 83 time. 83 episodes 83 in. episodes in. Right. The colonies were quickly heading towards a clash with their rulers. After settlers had wrought a bloody massacre on the East Coastal indigenous people, they suddenly turned on their British masters. Of course, we cannot ignore the audacity of white settlers to slaughter and enslave the natives of the land and then cry for freedom from their own chains. But this story isn't about the abhorrence of colonialism. Instead, we chose a lighter subject and decided to go with the completely uncontroversial topic of religion because nothing is less (laughs) controversial than religion. So truly, though, the American colonies were bursting at the seams as immigrants poured into the newly controlled territory. By the 1750s, over one million colonizers had settled on U.S. soil, which was one-sixth the size of Britain's population, an incredible statistic for such a young and newly populated colony. The promise of wealth and adventure was definitely a draw for early white explorers, but soon the focus shifted to a different motivation as immigrants realized the possibility of religious freedom in the colonies. The mid-17s to late 1800s was an especially fertile time for new religion in America. Around 1730, the first Great Awakening took place. This was a series of religious revivals that swept the nation for the next 40 years, changing much of American lifestyle at the time and setting the stage for the evangelical leanings of today. So it should be no surprise that an individual born into this era would grow up having such strong religious ties. On November 29th, 1752, in Cumberland, Rhode Island, the Wilkinson family had a baby. Uh, the assigned, they assigned the baby female and gave them the name Jemima. Uh, the infant was the eighth child born to the family and would eventually become one of 12. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. That's why we have a population problem. <laughs> Um, The large family was part of the Society of Friends, 
known most commonly today as Quakers. Jemima's father, Jeremiah, real, real creative there, had long <laughs> been a member of the Smithfield sect. Traditions and beliefs of the society have varied and changed throughout the years and form group and from group to group. In the first American settlements, women held the high positions in Quaker culture, which was almost unheard of in any other white towns and settlements. The Quaker women preached and held authority on public councils. It wasn't until the 1670s when some men became so upset about feminine leadership that, soci- that the society suffered a major split. Half of the Quakers followed a strictly male-dominated leadership and half continued to value and respect women because guess what? Even Obama said it. Women are better leaders, and I believe that. Because yeah. most men have at least some sort of ego problem. Yeah, yeah. And women have more empathy. And, exactly. You know, there's not as much narcissistic tendencies. Hence also the reason why there are far more male serial killers than there are female serial killers. Mm-hmm. But also, like, it's just the same thing splitting people forever. Religion and um, sexism, yep. right? Over and Always. over. Oh, right. That's literally, if you look at any history in the entire world, mm-hmm. every major change is because of one of those two things. Everything. Yep. Every single major change. Religion and gender? Yes. Yeah. 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 No matter what. Like, even politics, like, you look at any politics, that the fall of the Roman Empire, like, everything. Yeah. It's either related to religion or women. <laughs> religion or women. <laughs> and or, or sex, gender, 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 yeah, just sex, gender, anything, yeah, like that, yeah. But it was through this Quaker influence that Jemima felt emboldened to explore their identity and power. When they were around thirteen, their mother Amy died while giving birth to the family's twelfth child. Jemima stepped up and helped with family chores, being especially impartial to animals. Their love for horses would remain throughout their life. Jemima was an exceptional horse rider and enjoyed the challenges of taming and caring for the animals. There are conflicting reports from different biographers of Wilkinson concerning their gender expression during Jemima's younger years. One author claimed that Jemima preferred feminine clothing and finer things, but another gruffly disputes this account and asserts that Jemima was always fluid in their attire and expression. And part of that is just, you know, when it's a long time ago and there's not a lot of reporting. And of course, there's definitely not reporting about gender expression and identity. So, Mm hmm. Um, by the way, didn't one of our followers recommend this episode? Yes, one of our followers did. Uh, was it on Twitter? Mike, Some... It was on my. I think it was on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, maybe I'm not sure. Sorry, <laughs> we. Uh, I want to kind of start making sure we mention our fo- like if people yeah. suggest episodes, I want to start mentioning it. We're really, really bad at that. We take. We're like, <laughs> thank you for bringing this idea to us. Uh, <laughs> if we find you, we will link to your account on our. Page. Yes, we just got to go through and look for it. But thank you for suggesting this. And this, this was actually trending towards the end of the year, the story of the public universal mm-hmm. friend, because someone had shared it on Twitter Twitter, and everybody was sharing it. Um, the story of Jemima Wilkinson has been around, obviously, for a while, but really as far as their um, expression and gender identity in the past probably 10 years, we've had a couple biographies mm-hmm. written about them. Um, only one of them is decent, but the, you know they've right. they've been in they've been around, but this has really been brought to light. So thank you for suggesting this. Um, this was the perfect person to start the new year off with. Absolutely, you know. So as Jemima grew older, the weight of a nation in chaos bore down on the Wilkinson family. The colonies drew closer to war, and British soldiers filled the ports, forcing themselves into the colonizing homes, marching through the streets with loaded guns, and intimidating the rebels into submission. In 1776, Jemima's sister, Patience, was banished from the Society of Friends for having an illegitimate 
an illegitimate child. A few months later, two of their brothers were banished for joining the American militia. Struggling to find answers and reeling from the mounting pressure, Jemima attended a few local Baptist meetings. The betrayal of the Quaker faith was enough to get them banished from the society as well. Yeah, so it was like, um, so their their brothers, um, it was because they were using guns in the American militia mm-hmm. because Quakers are notoriously pacifists and they, um, you know, are against joining any kind of militia. And then, but it was hard because there was a lot of pressure at that time. Yeah, what else you are you going to do? Literally, people are being slaughtered around yeah. you and like towns are being invaded. You're yeah. going to sit by and watch. It like, was really hard. I understand the basis of the religion, but at some point you have to be like, um, we're literally being invaded. We kind of have to defend ourselves. Well, according to Quakers, don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, just let I them mean, take everything. They, yeah, but yeah, they're just like, you know, you just pacifistly, uh, pac- pacifistly, um, uh, watch everybody die. What is it? No, what? No. <laughs> what is the thing? Um, protest. Well, remember, um, uh, Bayard Rustin was a Quaker, mm-hmm. you know, and he let he organized the March on Washington. He also went to prison several times because he was protesting. But he when they would beat him or kick him, like if they were beating the protesters, he wouldn't fight back. You know, it takes a lot of courage to be a Quaker. So I do have um, respect for that. But then also they're not helping themselves by banishing every person that sins. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, Jemima, especially their sin was that they went to a couple Baptist meetings. Right. Like, how dare you look at any other people around us? And in Rhode Island, no doubt. Rhode Island is where Baptists came from. So. Well, not really. Not if you talk about their history. But anyways, in October of 76, Jemima became deathly ill with what historians believe was typhus, an ugly disease that gives the ill person a high fever, headache, and a full body rash. It was one of the most feared diseases of the colonies during this time and often resulted in a coma and eventually death. For several days, the young 24-year-old struggled to stay alive. Finally, the fever broke and with it a new spiritual revelation. The newly healed individual claimed to have died and been born again into a genderless body. They stated that the soul of Jemima Wilkinson had ascended into heaven and in its place, the angels had sent the public universal friend. Or Puff. Puff, yes. Immediately, there was excitement and outrage over the audacious claim. The friend no longer responded to the name Jemima Wilkinson or the pronoun she. Instead, they either avoided pronouns or used and responded to they, them during their personal life. Hey, guess what? This shit's been around forever. Right? Like, so let's not new. pretend it's a new fucking thing. <laughs> I don't know if that sounded any muffled. I had my hands around my mouth. Hey, which, <laughs> uh, however, in their religious profession, they would allow male pronouns to be used. And this was more due to the pressure from followers for the friend to identify as a man rather than as a genderless individual because, of course, yeah. a man is more authoritative. So, yeah, I just want to pause. Like, they never want it to be referred to. It doesn't seem that they ever want it to be referred to as a man, man but because they were leading a congregation, the the, like people are like okay I understand that's your personal thing whatever and this happens to non-binary people every fucking day mm-hmm. you go into work and you're like I'm non-binary I want to use they them pronouns or zzer pronouns or whatever my pronouns are and people say okay you know what? that's fine in your personal life but here you have to choose a, a pronoun I actually have a friend who quit their job because they were told that they had to choose a gendered pronoun and they refuse to. And they're like, mm-hmm. and they actually are doing great now. They have their own business and they're doing fantastic. Well, fuck whoever exactly, they had to quit. Exactly. And they were like, I'm never working for a company again that doesn't respect my pronouns. But that happens all the time where you go somewhere and people are like, look, that's fine. I don't care how you identify. But in this setting, you have to use gendered pronouns. And that's what happened to um, the friend. Mm-hmm. 
In fact, this was a strong point of criticism by those who claimed the public universal friend was a transgender man or simply a woman conning everyone. Critics point to the fact that followers insisted on calling the friend he as a reference to the friend's place in the Trinity. Yet followers do not address a feminine side of the Trinity, and this is why critics say the friend was not two genders or all genders, but rather a single gender. Which, can we also talk about the fact that they were willing to call someone assigned female at birth a man? Mm-hmm. Like, this is like all this time ago, and we still have people, that's not natural, I, I never heard of such a thing. <laughs> exactly. Like, they, yeah, they were like, all right, fine, fine, you're not you're not a woman, we'll just call you a man, that's fine. Like, that was an issue. And it also shows the extreme prejudice against non-binary people, Absolutely. because they'd rather call the friend a male than to refer to the friend as non-binary right. or, you know, genderless. And so that's interesting. And the Trinity thing is just, I don't know, if you know your, your Bible or your theology that's just the points of yeah of god and whatnot but you know they were just like well because they used he and not she then that means that they were a he you know just bullshit mm. whatever they can pull out of their ass to be like we don't have to call you they then right. oh this is me <laughs> so this is where we pause to address the great insult and disservice done to the friends done to the friend by historians and biographers over the past two and a half centuries. Once the rebirth happened, the friend was very clear that they did not want to be addressed by their former name or female pronouns. When speaking of their former life, they may use the name Jemima, which is why we used it in the first half of our script. However, after their spiritual awakening, they no longer associate it with that name, nor a strictly feminine expression. In fact, the friend wore a very androgynous look. We need very neatly combining feminine and masculine attire and attributes into a fantastically non-binary expression. We have only one self-portrait today, but through the painting and descriptions, we see the effort put into avoiding conforming to any one gender. In every aspect, from private diary entries to public identity to clothing expression, the friend insisted on non-binary terms. Which is why it is frustrating that of the three biographies written about the friend in the last 13 years, two of the books refer to the friend as female. Using feminine pronouns, feminine terminology, and distorting the facts to justify this breach of an individual's history. Some even going so far as to say that they were the first woman preacher in America. But we do not honor history when we confine it to our limited perceptions. As a history podcast, we are happy for whoever was actually the first woman preacher. But the friend was not that person, as they def- this, they definitively defied the title, and it is wrong to ignore their wishes and erase queer history in order to add another narrative, which is what fucking happens every single time. I can't believe the audacity of the historians, though, because it's so clear. It's not like, oh, I think one time they said the, they, them. Like, it is so mm-hmm. clear that they did not want to be gendered, and people are like, first woman preacher in America. Man, she was great. Wow, she was a kick-ass. Like, what are you fucking doing? I watched a PBS documentary, which I linked in here just because I had some information. And the same thing. They're like, they're going on and on about what a badass she is. And it's like, they're not a badass. They're not a, they're not a she. But continuing our story of this non-binary or genderqueer individual, within days of their supposed resurrection, the friend, or Puff as they were lovingly called by their followers, held their first religious service. On October 13, 1776, they spoke on the open forum and split the local Quakers in two. Again. 
So now there's four different sections of Quakers or three. <laughs> just, people are constantly splitting over shit. Like half the group was enraged by the friend's so-called heresy. The other half were inspired by their courage and zealotry. I love when people say heresy. Growing up, I heard that a lot. That's heresy. You're a heretic. <laughs> You're a heretic. Before long, Puff was traveling up and down New England and into Pennsylvania, spreading their message to all who would hear, gaining as much backlash as they did support. People were put off by the individual wearing a clergyman's cowl with the woman's petticoat peeking out from underneath. Puff's hair fell in feminine ringlets to their shoulders and was covered on the top by a masculine broad-brimmed hat. Yet even though many could not explain the attire and identity of their of this engaging individuals, crowds still thronged to hear the friends speak. Their first real converts were their own family members, the Wilkinson children, most of which had been shunned by the Quaker community for one sin or another, all followed their siblings' spiritual vision. By 1780, the friend had acquired quite an assembly of believers, almost all of whom were white, under 40, and on the outs with the Quaker community or similar faith. And in 1783, the group officially called themselves the Universal Friends. But as the religion grew, so did their notoriety, as did the public outcry. In 1788, several newspapers in Pennsylvania began to publish critical accounts of the friend and their following. As a whole, the beliefs of the uni- as a whole, the beliefs of the Universal Friends did not vary much from standard Quaker teachings. The friend and their followers preached love and acceptance, which was contrasted with similar sermons about judgment and repentance. Always got to throw that in there. Mm-hmm. They also advocated hard against slavery and were responsible for several people freeing their slaves. No doubt this earned the Universal Friends a good bit more hostility, as the new country was currently debating whether black people deserved that all men are created equal pause. Yeah, I really... F- as the new country was currently debating whether black people deserved that all men are created equal clause. Turns out the country would decide a year later that, in fact, Jefferson had misspoke when he said all men. He only meant white men. But even with the advocacy against slavery aside, it is certain that the main cause for attack against the Universal Friends was over their genderless leader, which is why large crowds began to gather outside the meetings and harass the congregation. So in 1790, the small group relocated to a parcel of land they had purchased in the New York wilderness. A large house for the friend and a few of their closest confidants uh, was built and still stands to this day. A long winding staircase bears a large landing that almost juts out like a platform. The first floor entryway and the wide hallway on the second floor would be filled with partitioners. Puff would stand on the landing and preach to the congregation every Sunday. The rest of the New York land was divided evenly among the followers, around 260 people. They called the settlement New Jerusalem. It was Puff's wish that everyone in New Jerusalem had equal access and equal privilege. Fucking socialist. (laughs) (laughs) People think socialism didn't start until the 1900s. New thing. These weird millennial kids. (laughs) I love, but the thing that I love the most is that millennials are still referred to as like kids. I know, right? And it's like we're all in our 30s pretty much. Like we're 30s, <laughs> half of us have kids, and we're mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> they just ignore Generation Z. I know, well, literally. <laughs> so the preaching and practice of this equality is what drew so many people and queer, non binary individuals to the Universal Friends. There were certainly many male identifying individuals who took part in the faith, and because of New York law, only men could be on the board of trustees, a necessary implementation for the purchase of the land. However, the true core leaders were the friend and the faithful sisterhood. The sisterhood was a combination of women and non-binary people who took the same vow of celibacy as the friend and formed the innermost circle of the universal friends, 
Christians. While followers were not denied the rights of marriage and sex, the friend taught that abstinence was the holiest of vows. So it was the sisterhood's advice and guidance which Puff sought first when dealing with legal and social matters. I don't <laughs> understand celibacy and abstinence. I don't. Mm. If that is what you believe in, believe in it. Yeah. If you really want that for your life, then absolutely go for it. But don't try to tell people that they're going to hell or like mm-hmm. their life is going to be miserable if they don't do that. It's just like with anything like, I don't know. I could never do that. No. I remember being in sixth grade. I had to sign an abstinent card <laughs> and see what happened to me. Wow. I've signed about a hundred abstinence card in my, in my life. And I <laughs> Down. Let me tell you, you sign a, your you make your, you make a child sign an abstinence card. They're going straight down a path to hell. <laughs> you're opening no, that right? gate. You're, like, you're opening you're that like, door. They're gonna have all the sex. No, my um uh yeah. I mean that's the thing about like you said, it's a personal choice and it and that's fine. But it, it is all this. I don't know where we got off that if you have sex somehow you're in like you're dirty. Like literally, we have sex. I mean, it's fun and it's pleasurable for many people, not for everyone. Um, but it also um, is how we repopulate the earth. So I don't know where people got like God wants us to be celibate. But how? Are well, we? maybe you know what? Maybe the first per- the first people who came up with that de- idea were asexual, maybe. which is a possibility. <laughs> and they're like, hey, this is how I can get out of this. And, well, maybe they to them it was like a real genuine way. That like they believe that, but mm-hmm. they, they also felt it. So to yeah. them, it was natural. Yeah, that's a possibility. That's that's a strong possibility. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, I absolutely believe there are asexual people that that found a solace in celibacy, um, and I also think that there were people because of society being so homophobic that thought, well, you know, I don't like if you're a woman and you don't want to marry a man or if you're a female presenting person or if you're a non-binary person, you still feel that you will be perceived as a woman and you have to marry a man and you don't want to do that. Then, you know, you'd rather be celibate than Mm -hmm. have to be with, you know, sexually with a man. Also, people respected vows of celibacy in ways that they didn't respect others. Yeah, they don't do that today. Exactly, right? <laughs> but like if you were a virgin, they could give a fuck. But if you were a celibate nun, they're not going to fuck with you because they thought God was going to judge them. Right. So you could you could find ways to protect yourself. So I think there were a combination of, of reasons why people would take a vow of celibacy. It's just the teaching that celibacy is the way is the issue. Yeah. Maybe the way for you, but that's not the way for everyone. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Yet even though the group was settled far away from most American civilization, trouble... Trouble still followed. In 1799, several pious men, enraged by the friend and their teachings, decided to take action. Three times that year, they attempted to kidnap Puff, which they called arrest, but the attempts were illegal and therefore kidnapping. The first time came while Puff was out riding, but since the friend was so skilled at horseback riding, they escaped. The second attempt came shortly thereafter, when two men showed up at Puff's house and tried to simply carry them out. The kidnappers were met with the fury of the faithful sisterhood and chased away. I would not oh want to God. run into them. Imagine you're like <laughs> trying to kidnap this person and all these women just come just out like, like ah! you want to fuck with us, motherfucker? <laughs> exactly. Secretly, it's just a bunch of butch lesbians like, <laughs> let's go. Is butch lesbian mean hmm? to say? No, butch lesbian isn't mean to say. Okay. I mean, I don't know that they were, but like. No, um, that's what I'm picturing in my head. Just a bunch I'm of. I'm sure like, it was. It was a bunch of butch lesbian or non-binary because half of them were non-binary and half of them were like definitely not 
I don't know. <laughs> De- <laughs> definitely probably not heterosexual, but who knows? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, the third arrest was actually legal and organized by a posse of 30 men. They raided the house at midnight, breaking down the door with an axe. That's my biggest fear in my life. I know. I'm triggered. <laughs> and charging up the stairs in search of the friend. But when they found the preacher, Puff was too ill to be taken away. Instead, the friend had to promise to show up in court on June of 1800. They were being tried for blasphemy. Mm. And if that term is not familiar to you, it means the act or offense of speaking sacrilegiously about God or sacred things, which we could be tried for blasphemy. Oh, this is a blphemous episode. So if like the Handmaid's Tale ever comes after, Evan and I are going to be the first person they come for. Oh, we know. We're just going to turn ourselves in and be like, just get it over with. (laughs) Just shoot us now. We'll just take like arsenic pills or something. (laughs) But since the friend taught most of what other religions taught, almost identically to Quaker religion, in fact, the real so-called blasphemy was simply Puff's existence. So they agreed to show up in court to face the charges. In June, the friend faced their rivals in court. One enemy in particular was Judge William Potter. Potter was family by marriage and had been a former convert of Puff's. He had changed his ways upon hearing the friend's teaching and had been persuaded to free his 19 slaves. Yet the rough pioneer life of New Jerusalem had left Potter angry and disillusioned, particularly because he was the one footing most of the bills the friend was accruing. After disputes among the residents and trustees over land ownership, Potter had left the commune. And now, just a few years later, he was pushing for the arrest and demise of his former spiritual mentor. Well, I mean, they always say socialism, somebody. You're taking money from someone else. Well, that's true. No, but I will say this, because here's the thing that we, we will talk a little bit at the end, is that, like... I mean, we're all for, I'm like, I, in one hand, like I'm so, um, happy to have this non, non-binary trailblazer and all the other hand, it kind of seems like they started a cult. And since I'm from a cult, I'm like, eh, that's not cool either. Like I know the people that foot the bills in these situations and you know, people are like, well, well, you know what? I bought into it, but there's a lot of manipulation mm-hmm. and control and abuse that goes into usually these things. So I also, I don't think it's right the, I mean, I think the judge was using this to, you know, hoping that the friend's non-binary existence is what would get them arrested. But I also understand the judge's disillusionment and anger. Mm-hmm. So. But favor was on the side of the friend. In one of the first court rulings regarding religious liberty in the young country, Puff won the case. The judge ruled that based on the newly adopted constitution, religion could not be ruled on by the courts. The separation of church and state made this argument a religious matter and not legal one. The judge then invited the pastor to stand up and preach to the courtroom. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Today, the judges be like, you know what? Why don't you stand up and give us a message? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then all the people there convert. <laughs> exactly. We do not know what the friend said, but we know the ruling was historic for religion and the universal friends. From that point on, the congregation was mostly left alone by the outside world. Over the next 19 years, the friend continued their work as the leader of New Jerusalem. Here's where conflicting accounts arise, and they are made no easier to sort due to the local news muddying the waters by deliberately spreading slander. There are stories of abuse of power by the friend and New Jerusalem, and uh, there are stories of abuse of power by the friend, and New Jerusalem is often referred to as a cult. Many of these stories have been shot down by friends and followers of the friend. Others have been supported by those who left the commune. It is a difficult topic to dissect because on the one hand, one must wonder why people would leave all family and wealth behind to live in the wilderness. And on the other hand, one must understand that queer and marginalized people often find solace in the wilderness. 
Sometime around 1816, the friend was diagnosed with an edema. Edema? Edema? I don't know. An edema, a painful retention of fluids around the arms or legs. They continued to give their weekly sermons, but over the next two years, their health steadily declined. In November of 1818, Puff delivered their final message during the funeral of their sister patients. The following year, on July 1st, 1819, the friend passed away at age 61. Or, as the death record states, 25 minutes past two on the clock, the friend went from here. Following the death of their leader, the Universal Friends began to dissolve as one dispute and charge after another was brought against the commune. Regardless, the friend had changed the, the regardless the friend had charged that their wealth be liquidated and paid out to the fellow congregants. They had acquired enough wealth to pay out to survivors for the next forty-three years. Sounds so, like a cult. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it's like people we were like, no, no, it's not a cult. But literally, when they liquidated your assets, you could pay. 200 plus people for over 43 years so that sounds like a lot of wealth to me yeah i don't you know and then there was a lot of disputes about the land because again remember the board of trustees was all men and they were Mm -hmm. technically the land owners so the the board of trustees tried to like take the money the land for themselves and then they were sued surprised their men of course they did (laughs) exactly so it was a whole thing so that's what i mean like um it just seems like maybe not the utopian environment that we would like Mm -hmm. to hope it was it seems like it was much more like a a religious cult you know Mm -hmm. and there's always a couple people that benefit and most people don't right In 1874, the final survivor of New Jerusalem passed away, but the legacy of the Universal Friends still lives on. Today, the mansion where Puff lived the last half of their life still exists and is listed as a national historical site. It is located in New York's Jerusalem Township in the town of Friends. (laughs) Hmm. There is also a display of the Friends artifacts and items belonging to the Universal Friend in the museum in Yates County, New York. And most importantly, the friend left behind a legacy that empowered women into leadership and which inspired followers into faith, but also that blazed a trail of hope for the non-binary and genderqueer community. And I do, like, they were a non-binary person, but because they were perceived as female, that's why I put that it empowered women, because... That is that is a reality. The rea- what it did is they said, you know, this doesn't have to just be for male identified people. Anyone can be a leader. Right. Anyone can be a religious, you know, leader. Yes. Your recommended resource is the Public Universal Friend, Jemima Wilkinson and Religious Enthusiasm in Revolutionary America. Why do people make their titles so long? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's by Paul Moyer. We do want to warn that this book is not completely non-binary friendly, though it is the most recent and accurate account of Puff's life. There are several other books printed out, printed about the friend. However, most refer to them strictly in female pronouns and descriptions. Hopefully, as time goes on, we will find more accurate portrayals of queer people. After all, that is the entire purpose of this podcast. Maybe we'll be in history one day. Somebody will be like, your recommended resource is your queer story. <laughs> it's like the back of old archives are like, if you can navigate the old internet when it was <laughs> shit, then you can go listen to your queer story. Um, no, but yeah. So, And, and I, I don't want to be too hard on Moyer's account, but I mean, they also try to walk this line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. but uh, And I also haven't read it. I just read chunks of it. So I, I have not read the full book. So... Um, but they do seem to be at least have a decent book compared to the other stuff. I did list some of the other references down at the bottom and those were awful. Also, um, and I was really frustrated with this. Michael Bronsky, who wrote A Queer History of the United States, also referred to the friend as a woman and as, you know, the first I woman. I don't understand like, why people have such a hard time. Like, 
if somebody doesn't want to be referred to something, just don't refer to them as that. Yeah, I know. It's that easy. If they go through their whole life, like being like, no, please just call me they, them. And you're like, okay, what did you say? She, he, what was it? Huh? Pronouns have nothing to do with you. Exactly. So if somebody says, call me this, mm-hmm. call them that. It's yeah. really that easy. There's also, a, and there's also a great thing that I read. Um, it's not a preferred pronoun. It's the correct pronoun. So yeah. this is not, oh, this is my preferred. No, this is their correct. They, they've told you what your pronouns are. Mm-hmm. And that's the correct way to return, refer to them. And if you're like, oh, that's going to be really hard for me. I don't know. Tough shit. But I'm sorry. It's going to be hard. How is it really hard? How is it really hard for you? Tell me. <laughs> it's just so hard for me to Tell remember. Tell me how it's hard I don't know, think I, can, I just don't think I can pull my head out this of my ass long per- enough to remember this. This one person in your life that requests something. One, it's probably realistically how many how many people do you encounter that request that you use different pronouns for them right. than, than what you are used to as societal norms? Yeah. How many people in your life? For the two of for Evan and I, it's quite a few because well, we're we're involved in the, we're involved in this community and we yeah. really work on bettering it. If you're just a, a normal person out in your day to day lives, yeah. probably in most of America, probably none yeah. that really request that you use different pronouns. So I don't know why everybody makes this fucking big deal out of it, like it's this big thing, and they're gonna have to remember twenty different people's pronouns, right? Because for ninety five percent of America. It's probably zero. It's probably, yeah, you're never going to encounter a person or it's going to be a person that you encounter very infrequently. Mm -hmm. And also, it just comes down to practice. I mean, I like the first time that I met and got to know a non-binary person, first of all, I referred to them by the wrong pronoun, which I, because I didn't bother to ask what their pronouns Mm -hmm. were. And then when I realized that I corrected it and it was, it was a little hard at first. I admit that like I was not because what they asked me, but me trying to remember because again, my head was up my own ass. Mm -hmm. But the more I did it, then it was fine. It was it was fine. You just you think of that person and you just start to think of them as they them mm-hmm. or whatever their pronoun is. So it it takes the slightest amount of work and it makes you a better human. So just be a fucking better human. It's real easy, I promise. Yeah. So um, stay queer. <laughs> Whoa! Did I flip the tables uh, on you? Everything just everything <laughs> you've ever known about this podcast just got <laughs> thrown off. It's the new year. It's a new me. Don't get a lobotomy. Our succulent sapphist. And Wait, our, now you've messed everything all right, you up. Start, you start. So stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our proud. Oh my God, you've messed it all up. Stay queer. <laughs> Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our succulent sapphires. Our little allied hookers. And our proud homocrats. And have a sodomy circus. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.